Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and my guest is the actor, Jaron Lewison, who you know best from his role as Ben Gross on the hit Netflix series, Never Have I Ever. The show was created by Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher. It's a coming-of-age comedy and drama that follows an Indian-American teen who wants to spruce up her social status, but her friends, family, and feelings don't make it easy for her to do so. Let's take a listen to part of the trailer for season three of Never Have I Ever. I like you. Yeah, but why? No one else thinks we make any sense. No, you don't think we make any sense. Did we discover that being in a relationship doesn't solve all of our problems? Nice try, Dr. Ryan. The entire Olivia Rodrigo album would disagree with you. Yeah, it's clean. You're like the horniest person I know. Damn. You want my advice? Stop trying so hard. What do you have to lose? Certainly not your dignity. My mom wouldn't let me come unless I brought one of her friend's loser kids. So, if you see an Indian door, come through that door, let me know. I see an Indian guy coming through the door, but he definitely does not look like a dork. Oh, shit. So hot. Extremely hot. I imagine, like, you have a, had a life in show business, so to speak. I mean, I imagine, like, uh, a Zoom link link not working is pretty minor can you remember any kind of major things you've noticed while filming different shows or films over the years yeah I mean I feel like during every production like there are certain hiccups I mean the biggest thing obviously and this is what everyone's been going through in the last like two three years was with the pandemic that was like the craziest most radical change I think that I've seen in the last like 15 years sometimes like especially we were shooting our, our second season during the pandemic and it was like full-fledged, everything was crazy and COVID was really unpredictable. We didn't even have vaccines at the time. So we were all isolated. And if one person tested positive, even if somebody thought it was a false positive or anything like that, the entire production shut down for 14 days. So that was probably the biggest, most like radical, I guess, difficulty I would say in navigating the, the entertainment landscape with difficulties. But I think other than that, like everything tends to run pretty smoothly. I think that I, I've been lucky enough at least to work with some pretty incredible crews who are so talented and work so hard that the day-to-day -day stuff, I really never see issues because everything is always handled with so much care and by experts and it never really affects me. I'm curious, especially in a show like um, Never Have I Ever, um, where there is some comedy in it, uh, does that affect the like even things like timing or performance? Because we hear a lot of people talk about the face mask and the testing and isolation, but I've always wondered because there's an inherent nature to having a good comedic timing or a good delivery. Is that at all affected? Or are you just are you guys just such good professionals that you're like, nah, nothing? I mean, truthfully, like people say laughter is the best medicine. And I know sometimes it can feel like a cliche, but for me specifically, it's completely true. Anytime that I get really, really stressed out and, and I'm going through something like how we all were with the pandemic, where there were such adverse impacts on our mental health, getting to do scenes that were comedic and getting to spend time with my coworkers at work was the thing that I looked forward to most. 
especially because I had lived at the time I was living around USC and I was living with six other guys plus me. <laughs> so I had to move out of that apartment because they had gotten COVID a few weeks prior and no one knew. And still we aren't exactly sure like how COVID works and how you can get reinfected and all that kind of stuff. So I had to move out and I was isolated. So my favorite parts of my day was when I was at work and getting to do those scenes just because it gave me a lot of comfort. And I think that you can feel that when you watch our show, whether it's the first, second, third, or eventually the fourth season, I think that you can feel like the love that we poured into it. And we all really leaned on each other, especially during that difficult time with all of the disruptions and, and some of the, the tribulations that we face. It became a lot easier to do some of those scenes because we were all looking so forward to it because everything else in life was so crazy that those were such a comfort for us. And I know that when people watched it, it was such a comfort show and such a joy and a light for them too. So I think that that's really special. And, and this, I do feel like it's definitely one of those shows people talk about that was like their pandemic show, you know, they, they yeah. it if they hadn't seen it. Um, what's a show that was your pandemic show? What's something that you watched that you was like your comfort food? <laughs> you know, what's funny. It was Bridgerton. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know why, but I remember like my sister had watched it and, and she was like talking about it. And I was like, oh, all right, like I'll give it a shot. And I like ate that up. I was like, oh my God, Reggae Jean Page is, is like unbelievable in that first season. And I remember watching that and I was like, I got to take some notes from this guy. <laughs> like, it was just, it was a really well-crafted show. Um, I think Shonda Rhimes did such an unbelievable job. And uh, I know a lot of people that have worked with her and sing her praises so highly. So I was excited to watch that. And, and I, I, I did love it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's nothing. I don't think anything to be ashamed of. And it's weird because people do have, well, our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed and where we'll talk a little bit about some other obsessions you have. But it's funny. That's a modern thing. We get obsessed with a character, get obsessed with an actor, obsessed with a show or an idea. And it's such a modern thing. Um, and going back to Never Have I Ever, the show is created by Mindy Kaling and, and Lang Fisher. And obviously people have their own obsessions about things like The Office, which is how many of us learned about Mindy. But what's yeah. it like working with Mindy and Lang? And how is the time over three seasons changed that relationship? They're incredible. I think that they're some of my biggest inspirations and some of my biggest champions, which is really cool to say. And Mindy and Lang are such like pioneers and they've created such a groundbreaking show that is doing so much in terms of diversity inclusion while simultaneously being so multidimensional and brilliant and relatable and heartwarming and witty and all of those other things. And they created such a positive and collaborative environment, which is just such a dream come true as an actor, because you have the ability to like talk about ideas and talk through scenes. And I would text them where I was like, hey guys, like I'm reading through this episode and I feel like I'm not quite understanding Ben's motivations here, like, can you kind of shed some light on this? And they would be more than happy to discuss it with me. And our characters are like definitely a part of us. And us as actors, because we're always in those scenes, we know them really well. And if something feels weird or awkward, like, let's talk about it and talk through it and see if we can make it feel a little bit better. And again, I feel like when you watch the show, you can feel that. And it's such a fun environment being around them and they push you, which is really awesome. Because the expectations are high. This is a show that's loved by so many people in like, I think it's like 190 countries, which is mind-blowing <laughs> to me. And we have like millions and millions of viewers. And when you have 
that like audience behind you, you have to make sure that everything is done to the best of your abilities. And they, they push you to grow and they push these characters to grow and you develop not only as a person, but as an actor and a friend and all of those other things, like they truly are incredible leaders. You mentioned how they, they kind of acknowledge the fact that it, this, that Ben Gross is a part of you or you're part of Ben Gross, but does that also work the other way around when you're offset? Ha, has playing the role changed you as a person? Yeah, I, I honestly take a lot of lessons, not only from Ben, but just from the show in general. I think the biggest thing, especially in season three, the theme for Ben was pressure. And that is a bit of a pun, both like internal and, and a bit external pressure. But I think for me, I was feeling some of that pressure in my real life because I had just graduated from USC and the show wrapped shooting this past summer for the fourth season, we've already done it. So now I'm kind of feeling that pressure. And when I was watching the third season and throughout a lot of these interviews and talking about it, I was like, wow, Ben's really struggling with opening up and learning that like the, the perfect plan that he had is in his head is not exactly how life works and life is chaotic and messy. And sometimes we have to relish in those moments and learn from them. And that's something that I have a lot of difficulty with. I'm a bit of a control freak like Ben is. I want to be perfect. And I was talking to one of my mentors, who is one of my acting coaches, his name is Alex Gay. And he was saying that perfection is the enemy of art. <laughs> and weirdly enough, it relates for Ben's journey in this third season as well, because Ben starts taking art classes. And he's finding meaning in this pair where, where he's sitting there with Margot and he's like, wow, it, it, it seems lonely and bruised and it speaks to him. And that scene really spoke to me because I was like, wow, I want to be perfect in each and every scene that I'm doing, but like perfection is impossible. And I think I needed to redefine my definition of perfection and shift away from like, oh, it has to be this exact way and shift more towards all I have to do is try my best while simultaneously taking care of my mental health, because I think that that's how you become perfect in that way is, is you just try your best and you learn and you grow. And if you fail, it's okay. And I'm trying to remind myself of that as much as I can. And like Ben, I also still have a long way to go. I just relate to so much of what you said, especially perfection, uh, anything to do, especially creatively. But then in a show where you are so dependent on collaboration, I got to imagine that uh, compromise, which a lot of people think of sometimes it's a bad word. I think that compromise is what it gives you layers that you might not have been able to find, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was the biggest thing and honestly, probably the biggest comfort in terms of being able to like defy those expectations of perfection in my head was allowing people to like give me notes and then taking them and, and like allowing myself to realize that they're not going to let me fail and they're going to make sure that I'm the best that I can be. And Mindy and Lang and the guest directors, whoever that might be, when they're giving me notes or we're trying things different way, it may not work perfectly for every single line. But if one line is incredible during that take, then that's going to be edited in the room and that's going to culminate into this beautiful scene. And like after, especially the first season and I had watched my performance, I was like, wow, I totally get it. Like every time that they're telling me to try something new or try something different, instead of like getting nervous about it, I would be like, wow, yeah, I totally trust these people. I know that they're going to make sure that Ben Gross is going to like do this scene exactly this way. And, and then, you know, that's how they saw it in their head and that's how it should be. And that's really, really fun as an actor to be able to take comfort in the people that you work with and realize that they're not going to let you be bad. 
Okay, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. Yes. What are you currently obsessed with? So I was thinking about it. It's kind of a tie, but I'm going to put ice cream is second and tennis <laughs> is, is the winner right now. Tennis has like absolutely overtaken 90% of my thoughts. I love tennis. I got into it during COVID and I started taking lessons and I started following players. And then it was really cool. I was, uh, for whatever reason, it was a random post on Instagram and Coco Goff was one of the rising stars in women's tennis right now is like a, a fan of the show, which I was like, wow, that's so cool. And John McEnroe obviously narrates it. And she commented Coco did on my trees post and she was like something about team Paxson and I commented back and I was like Coco I'm really into tennis does that give me any points and she was like maybe I'll keep it in mind for season three so I thought that was really funny and coming up with the the U.S. Open I'm really excited to see how she does I'm really rooting for her and then on the men's side Nadal has been on the come up once again which is really cool and I just like I love tennis I love the mentality behind it I read this book that my dad gave me called The Inner Game. And it's all like about mentality and it's a, a tennis book about like mindset and it kind of the, I don't know, it just kind of like has a lot of lessons about life and about pressure and about like taking things as they are and learning from like different points essentially in life as learning experiences and finding kind of what feels right in your trajectory and your path for your future and who you are and kind of going with the flow of the game. So Tennis has been like a big metaphor for my life and I'm slowly getting better. I could use a little bit of help on my backhand, but I'm working on it. John McEnroe said, I'll get there. I told him, I was like, John, I need some help with my top spin and my backhand. And he was like, yeah, you'll be fine. Like, All right, I'll take it. <laughs> that sounds, I mean, I've never met John McEnroe um, and let he's on your show, but it's like, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a hilarious, hilarious guy. Oh my goodness. That's so, that's tremendous. Okay. So Ben Gross, you played him in three seasons and you just said you guys finished filming the fourth, but obviously we're going to have to wait on that. If you had to make a 10 second commercial for Ben, what would, what would be some of the things in that commercial? As Ben? As, oh, maybe as Ben. I would say just for Ben, like he's like maybe running for office or something, but like, yeah, if you made a 10 second commercial, what, what, how would you explain Ben? Or if it's Ben himself, how would he explain himself? If it's Ben himself, he's definitely pitching himself to like a boardroom <laughs> of like, oh, like high level executives, <laughs> probably like in New York, maybe he's like the manager of a hedge fund or something or like a CEO of a finance company or like a lawyer or, or something like that. And he's probably doing a lot of like hand motions, a lot of like politician style, like finger pointing where he's got a lot of conviction in his words and whatever he's trying to sell, whether it's like software or stocks or whatever it might be, he's definitely got like a 60 slide PowerPoint presentation with transitions and like the lights are probably cued to like certain motions in, in his PowerPoint or something like that. He would definitely go the extra mile. It's odd. We were talking about perfection and in as an artist and actor, but I think for Ben Gross, it seems aligned that it would be at minimum like a 60, 60 slide, like, you know, PowerPoint or something, right? Like yeah, he's going to have everything impeccably transitioned. Yeah, absolutely. He, he probably started working on it two years before it was actually ready to be presented. <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's great. You, I mean, and I'm not giving you a hard time, but you acknowledge that this show is huge. It's got such a big fan base. It's in 
uh, you said 109 countries or something like that? 190, I believe. 90? Oh, wow. Dude, something that's... like that. Something like that. <laughs> I mean, are you ever, do you have moments where you're just surprised by how big it is and how popular it is? Or are there smaller moments where you're just touched by um, something a fan might say to you after who's like seen the show or seen all three seasons? All of the above. Every single day, to be honest, I am mind boggled by the amount of people that send me messages that are talking about how much they relate to the show, how much they appreciate the show, what the show has done for them. And when you think about the numbers, it's very difficult to quantify the scope of our show. Like 190 countries, I can't even think of like 30 off the top of my head right now. Like it's, it's incredible. And it means so much to so many people around the world that all kind of were, were raised differently and, and they have different cultures or, or different like intersectionalities. And they have the ability to somehow relate to a character in our show or a situation in the show and find comfort in it and catharsis. And that just means so much to me. To have the opportunity to be a part of a show, again, that is so groundbreaking and, and like means so much to so many people, that was my dream when I was a little kid. And that continues to be my dream now. And I'm so grateful to Mindy and Lang and Netflix and Universal. And I told everybody that on like one of my last days, I was like, you guys changed my life. Oh my God. This is, I mean, as, a, as a kid, like I just, I wanted to be an actor so bad and you think like, yeah, it'll, it'll definitely happen. But then there are these rejections along the way and things get difficult and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen for me. And I'd been doing this for a long time. I was like acting for about 13 years and I had booked other things, but nothing that was the magnitude that never have I ever was. And it really has. It's changed my entire life. And I'm so, so grateful and filled with so much pride and joy to be a part of something like this. And Ben Gross means so much to me that like I'm emotional just thinking about it. It's it's really been a fantastic experience. I'd say, and with season three being out, is can you uh, maybe share a um, a moment or a scene that really meant a lot to you when you filmed it? I know there's, I don't want to get spoiled anything, but if there's something that you remember filming that just really stood out to you or you look forward to it um, in the shooting schedule? Yeah, for season three, it was during Ben's second solo episode, which is episode 306, directed by Kabir Akhtar and written by Amina Munir. And it was a scene between Ben and Paxton. Ben's in the hospital and he's just gotten like the, the crap removed from him after not having uh, a bowel movement for like 16 days because he was so stressed <laughs> out. And Ben is incredibly embarrassed and the scene shifts and you see that Paxton is also insecure and he's worried. And, and he says like, I don't even know who I am. And Ben is like shocked and flabbergasted by the fact that this like super popular, outwardly very confident, permanently smoldering Adonis is like really insecure because Ben's like, oh no, this guy's got it all going on. He's super popular. He's got a ton of friends because that's what Ben wants. And on the flip side, Paxson's looking for that academic edge. He's trying to find himself and figure out who he is in the next stage of his life in terms of the college application process and who he is outside of swimming. And I feel like that scene specifically just really inspired me to open up in my personal life. And I really hope that it did for fans as well is watching that scene. I think that it really kind of defies tropes of toxic masculinity because I know that I, I was guilty of this and sometimes I still am. Like I grew up playing sports in Dallas and, and I was a football player and I was a power lifter and I ran track and you're kind of taught to 
keep your emotions in check. You got to stay cool under pressure and you kind of bottle those things in and you don't really like let them out a ton. And for Ben and Paxton, that's caused both of them a lot of inner turmoil and a lot of conflict and them opening up to each other is what solved each of their respective issues. And you see a couple of scenes later, Ben and Paxton kind of have this unspoken conversation after Principal Grubbs said that she cried reading Paxton's essay that Ben helped him on. And Paxton looks at Ben and you can tell that Ben also just feels lighter in more ways than one, which Sandberg reminds us. It is just so fantastic to be able to have a scene like that and show people that it's okay to open up. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you soft. If anything, it only makes you stronger and it only helps you in your life and your growth and your development. It was just a really, really impactful scene. It is surprising when you have a scene that just shows kind of what's a healthy way to handle stress like a normal person would versus like you know I, I mean I'm like I'm of the like the 90210 generation so that was not very helpful for my mentality <laughs> like, <laughs> um, right I, I gotta ask you this though um I, I'm sure you've 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 thought about this a lot uh what are what's a show or a film um that you watched when you were in high school that that was that kind of like never have I ever for you Goodwill Hunting that was the first time that I was exposed I think I was a freshman and it's still one of my favorite films to this day. And Robin Williams is my favorite actor ever. And that performance, like I cried. I just cried and, and it was so important for me to watch that. And it meant so much to me just about like working hard and about uh, difficulties and opening up to people and how like you might be loud and brash on the outside and deep inside, like you're struggling. And that really helped me a lot when I was thinking about Ben Gross because he is that way. Sometimes it seems like he's got it all together and it seems like he's the smartest guy in the room and deep inside, like he's really struggling. And the scene that I vividly remember is when Robin Williams's character is saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And he's repeating it over and over and over again. And for Ben, it reminds me a lot of the scene with his dad, who's played by Michael Badalucco. And that scene where he's like, dad, like, I, I can't do this. Like, I got to scale my schedule back. Like, I, I, I'm so sorry. And Ben's dad is essentially saying like, dude, it's not your fault. Like you're doing the best that you can, like you're trying your hardest. And, and I feel like, yes, they're, they're very different characters, but they do share commonalities and, and they are a bit rigid on the outside a little bit and deep inside, like they have this very tender heart. Just to wrap up here, we do a thing called pick one. I give you a couple of examples and you pick pick which one you prefer. It doesn't mean the thing that you choose is better than the other one. And I'd like to play pick one at that school. Let's do it. First one, pick one, Dallas or LA? Dallas. Wait, how come? <laughs> it seems like I just, I'm, I'm a Texas boy. I just, Dallas to me feels like home. Most of my friends still live there. Dallas sports teams will always be the teams that I root for. I'm a huge Cowboys fan and a massive Dallas Stars fan. And I don't know, my parents still live in Dallas and my sister is moving back there after she graduates from law school. So Dallas just has a special place in my heart. You mentioned ice cream and say, pick one, chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry? Chocolate, 110%. I am like a <laughs> chocolate maniac. I love, love dark chocolate. If it's vanilla, I like probably won't eat it. Okay. And so you mentioned that Michael uh, Bataluco, Bataluco? Is yeah, right? Bataluco. Bataluco plays your dad on the show. Yeah. And he's obviously done a lot of stuff. So pick one, Michael in Raging Bull, Michael in The Practice, Michael in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or Michael in The Man Who Wasn't There? Oh, God, that's hard. He's so good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, 
was it was it the practice he won the Emmy for? It definitely was the practice he won the. I Emmy think I'd have to go with the practice then. Also, if you haven't seen his Emmy speech, it is like quite honestly one of the funniest things that I have ever watched in my life. Like it is, it is so so good. He is hilarious. So I I think I'd give it to the the practice. And I want to give you the last word. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, but is there anything you want to bring up or mention that we didn't get to? I don't think so. I think if I just had anything to say, I would just say thank you to everyone who has watched the show, who loves the show. If you haven't seen the show, check it out. I hope that you love it. And thank you for having me. Okay, can I ask, actually just a quick follow-up on that. Like for those people, for like the, the one country in the world that hasn't seen the show, <laughs> uh, what would you, how do you like pitch it to someone who hasn't seen it before? So basically I would say that it follows a young South Asian girl who's navigating through high school. It's based on events from Mindy Kaling's life, but Devi Vishwakumar is fictional and then she lives in the San Fernando Valley. And it's just about her kind of growing and learning. And there are a lot of growing pains that are associated with high school. And it's a pretty wild ride to watch her go through that. There's a lot of ups and downs and you'll cry laughing and you'll cry because you're crying because you're sad. So there's uh, <laughs> there's something for everybody in our show. So if you haven't seen it, definitely go check it out. It's on Netflix right now. Seasons one through three are streaming and season four is on the way, 2023. Jared, it was so cool getting to know you and talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell. And this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Hey, you know what? Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.